0: Well, it's great to be back after a week of holiday. Uh, I had a week of holiday a week ago. Um, a quick stop in to see my parents. We haven't seen for a little bit of time. They live up in the country. Uh, so And get to see them before heading into the second half of the year. Second half of the year already. It feels like we're just uh, welcoming the year. Uh, second half of the year. I want to say thanks to Gary uh, Lockyer who stepped in last week. I don't know if Gary's here. I haven't seen him. Uh, at the moment, whether he's here today or if he's online. G'day, Gary. Um, and uh, he stepped in for us last week. He's a great preacher. We're blessed to have his ministry here at KSBC. It's not bad for someone that uh, will scrape in the bottom of the barrel, as he uh, said last week. Um, it was good to uh, to get him in. But in all seriousness, uh, uh, thanks for helping us, Gary, to consider who Jesus really is, who, who this man is. Thanks for your ministry to us. Um, I was hearing this week that actually Gary was a go-to guy for preachers as they were being trained back many years ago. So we are blessed to have Gary and Judy as part of Killside South Baptist Church. Now over the past few months, we've been exploring elements of discipleship. And for the next few weeks, I want to shift our focus a little bit from looking into how we grow as disciples to now thinking about how that growth translates ...out into our world, uh, the the place that we live. A few weeks ago we had Chris Griffin, you might remember. He was from Operation Mobilization, OM. And he challenged us to think about what it means to take action as a disciple. And he looked at the scripture that we call the the Great Commission. And Jesus exhorts his disciples after three years of living with Jesus... ...following his teachings, uh, following him around wherever. He exhorts uh, his disciples to go... Because of all you've learned, because of all you've seen, because of everything else, it says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, this is Jesus. He says, now go. Jesus' last words were not about reflecting and being insular. Jesus left them, and it wasn't to be the end of the story. Jesus said, go. So over the coming weeks... I'll be speaking in the morning around this theme. What does it look like for us to go? And in the evenings, we'll be following the same topic, um, but next week and the week after, we've got uh, Charlotte Moran and Iona, they're going to be speaking uh, around this and giving their insights into uh, what, it, what does it look like to go as well. So let's pray, and we'll get stuck in this morning's sermon. Now, Lord God, we, we pray that as we've heard the word, that will help us to uh, be people who are willing to step out. Of our, maybe our comfort zones, uh, step out of our busyness, step out of our um, bubble, and see a world that is in need, a world that is in need of us to go. As Jesus' people, may we be people who are willing to go. Thank you, Lord. Amen. It wasn't too long ago that the what would Jesus do slogan was a big thing. Do you remember the, the what would Jesus do sort of, sort of movement type thing? Uh, which was really cool. And the popularity of wearing a, a what would Jesus do wristband, uh, it, it didn't go, I don't know if anyone still wears the what would Jesus do wristbands, but it was a big thing for a while. Did anyone ever wear a what would Jesus do wristband? Yep. Does anyone still wear one? No, it's sort of the wristband sort of died out. But the concept's good. The concept's good. Uh, what would Jesus do? But do you know the origin of the term, what would Jesus do? Who sort of coined it? I mean, it's probably someone back in Jesus' day who went, I wonder what Jesus would do. That might be the origin. But, but uh, it came from uh, in 1886. For his Sunday night services, Pastor Charles Munro Sheldon thought he would write a story which would continue one chapter each week about various people who applied this concept of what would Jesus do. And when he finished the story, it was, it was published as a book, and you can still buy this book, it's called In His Steps. And its, a, uh, it's major premise is based around the character of Reverend Henry Maxwell, the pastor of the first, first Church of Raymond. And the novel begins on a Friday morning when a man who's out of work, who's later identified as Jack Manning, appears at the front door of Reverend Henry Maxwell while he's preparing his uh, Sunday sermon, this Sunday coming sermon. So Maxwell listens to this man's helpless plea briefly before sort of brushing him away and closing the door. That same man appears in the church at the end of the next, on that Sunday, and he walks up to the front after the Sunday sermon and he says... He faces the people and no one stops him. He quietly but frankly confronts the congregation. I'm not complaining, I'm just stating facts. And he talks about their compassion, their apathy uh, for those who are like him, jobless and struggling. Upon finishing his address to the congregation, he collapses. He dies a few days later. The next Sunday, Henry Maxwell, deeply moved by what's just happened, presents a challenge to his congregation. Do not do anything this week without first asking the question what would Jesus do? The rest of the novel looks at episodes that focus on individual characters and their lives and how they're transformed by this challenge set by the pastor. We are, when we were in England we met a guy named Derry I might have told you this story before and he ran a church in, in America in Colorado and his church was it was a lovely little church it was doing, it was doing okay it did the things it needed to do but one day a, a, a prostitute walked into the church and sat down in one of the old lady's chairs and the old lady comes up to Derry and, and says Derry, she's in my chair what do I do? Derry going, said, what would Jesus do? Same concept. And this lady then took that and sat next to this this other lady that had come into the church. Sat next to her, welcomed her, and after the church led her to Christ. That church grew and grew and grew because of this terminology. The terminology is good. What would Jesus do? The wrist brands, I think you can still get them on Amazon, so go out. No, 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 you don't have to go and get them. That's all right. Some some poor kid that bought five hundred of the things back then has now got them sitting there going someone buy them. Um, but the, the the Jesus what would Jesus do is a timeless discipleship mantra, isn't it? In one Peter two twenty one, Peter seeks to answer the question of what it means to be a, a Jesus person, a Jesus follower, and it says this. It says to this you were called, each one of you, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow. In his steps. In his steps. See, Christ's example is there for us. His legacy that he has left on earth is to take heed of his example and follow in his steps. To follow someone in their steps, it means you, you have to know what you are following, you have to know what they are like. Can you imagine a son who says, When I grow up, I want to be just like my dad? I'm going to follow in my dad's footsteps, but never, ever follows him around and sees what he does. Never goes to the workplace, never asks the questions. A son can't follow much if he hasn't got the idea of what his dad does. And likewise as disciples, we are urged to follow in the example of Jesus Walk in his footsteps. But if you don't know what those footsteps are, it's difficult to walk in them. That's why we've got to keep on being disciples. That's why we've got to keep on being here and encouraged and lifted up in the word. That's why we've got to keep on meeting throughout the week and not stop doing that. That's why we've got to pray for one another and care for one another. Because we need to know what the footsteps of Jesus look like. That we might be disciples in the word, word, who explore the word, who follow the word. But what does that look like? when we move out of here. So this morning we're going to translate this idea of what would Jesus do and bring it into our everyday life, looking at an example that Jesus gave us in the story of the Good Samaritan. Through it, my hope is that we're encouraged to therefore go. It might not go far. we might just be go out to our community. It might just be stopping to see the next person in need. But the call is to therefore go. Go. The background to the story of the Good Samaritan starts at verse 25 of Luke 10. And there was some uh, 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 Jesus talking to this lawman. One of them, one of the lawmen, he asked this question: "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" As if it's a, a doing type of thing. And Jesus, as he often did, answers with a question that, that played on the intellect of this man of the law. Well, what's written in the law? You know it. What's written in it? How do you read it? I love that question. How do you read it? What take do you have on your own question? The lawman knew the law well, so he answered, Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind. It's a tick done well. He would have recited that thousands of times in his life. He recited every day that word, that, 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 that verse. It's part of the Shema from Deuteronomy chapter 6. He knew it was the most important thing. He knew that, and he knew that from, since he was a child. Now, if we stop there, we would say, we would say that uh, it's about ourselves. Love the Lord your God. Something that we can do. It's about our relationship with God, our vertical relationship with God. How can I be faithful to God? How can God be central in my life? That's what discipleship is, following Jesus Drawing closer to God. But that's not all the law. Man tells us. The law also says that you must love your neighbor as yourself. And that comes out of Leviticus 19 verse 18. So together with the Shema, it produces um, these great verses, the Great Commission. Love your neighbor as yourself is almost the, the opposite to love God. It's the we build in to send out seeking an inward relationship, a vertical relationship that we can share horizontally with the people around us. Last year, the deacons and the leadership of the church were looking at a mission statement. We still haven't got it in its final form. But it's most basic, we came up with a similar sort of thing. To build up the body of Christ, to send out the body of Christ. That's where we got to. took us a long time to get to that, and it was a good process. But that's where we've got to, and we want to we want to keep that that moving on, so that we can actually bring some words around that. But that's in its basic form, is what we want to see the church being, being built up that we may be sent out. That's what this is talking about, looking in and looking out. And Jesus affirms this. He even tells the lawman that he's answered correctly, but he issues him a challenge as well because he he knows that the man knows it, but is he living in it? So he says this: Do this, do what you've just said. And you'll live. Do this and you'll live. It seems like Jesus has given the imperative. Knowing the answer isn't going to be enough. Knowing the answer is not going to get you anywhere. Doing what it says is where you're going to arrive to eternity. So not fully satisfied with that, the the, the lawman asks, he wants to justify himself, so he asks another question. So who's my neighbor then? I've got to love my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Now, there's some necessary cultural background we need to answer for this, or we need to know for, this, for the answer to this question. In an ancient book of wisdom, the, the Sirach, in, in chapter 12, um, verses 1 to 4, it tells its readers to not help someone who is a sinner. So, don't help anyone that's a, a sinner. So, the law expert was really trying to work out for, with Jesus what's the distinction that he's making here? I can show that I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind. That's a thing for me. But, but if I'm to love my neighbor, I need to know who that person is. Because some neighbors are to be loved and some people just are not neighbors. And so Jesus sort of considers that and responds to it through this story of the Good Samaritan. Now, Jesus chooses a Samaritan specifically because in the eyes of this lawman, a Samaritan would have been one of those non-neighbours. A Samaritan would have been encapsulated in the space of the sinner, It was in chapter 9, just the the chapter before we read here, that Jesus was not welcomed in a Samaritan village. And James and John ask whether or not they should actually ask God to call fire down from heaven and destroy that village. Pretty harsh, really. But Jesus then rebukes them. Gives us a bit of an indication of what they thought of the Samaritans, though, doesn't it? To the Jews, they were traitors. A collective group of half-breeds as such, coming from the the northern kingdom of Israel and intermarrying with pagan nations. They were unfaithful to Israel. So the, the Jews just didn't like them. And you can see Jesus picking the Samaritan as a good guy. Not the priest or the Levite as a good guy who, in the mind of the lawman, would have been the right thing. But the Samaritan as a good guy makes the story shocking. That's not what should have happened. So Jesus tells the story of a man, uh, uh, the Good Samaritan, a man attacked on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho. Now, this road was renowned for danger and difficulty. There were thieves everywhere. They had to take advantage of caves that were around the road, and they jump travellers as they passed. So the victim is stripped of his clothing, beaten and robbed, and cast to the side of the road, just left for dead. Two opportunities for aid come past, a priest. And a Levite. Both could have signalled for help and helped out the beaten man. Yet both pass by. An excuse for these religious men not having done anything could be put down to the uncleanliness that comes from touching a dead body. I can't do my role if I'm unclean. But that's not really a good enough excuse, is it? Too busy. Too late for the next meeting. I already do enough Someone else will do that. It's not my thing. See, we can come up with a long, long list of excuses, can't we? We probably do. And some of them might sound like really good excuses, but none hit the prerequisite of being a good neighbour. They were willing to walk past a person in need. I wonder, have you walked past someone who needs your help? Have you made the excuses as to why you didn't stop? I know I have. And I know at times God's really convicted me of it. I wonder, have you passed someone that needs your help? Next comes the Samaritan, this sinner in the eyes of the lawman. The lawman probably expected the Jew to come along, just a layperson that was a good bloke, come along and help out. But a Samaritan comes along. <laughs> I can imagine the lawman just getting more riled up as the story goes along. The Samaritan has pity on the wounded traveler and attends to all of his needs. He bandages him. He pours, out, pours wine on his wounds. He puts him on a donkey, carries him to the inn. He takes care of him and leaves, him more, leaves the innkeeper um, more money so they can rest up for a couple of weeks. And says, if there's any excess that the man does, I'll be back to pay that as well. What an incredible sense of compassion, of neighborly compassion. Isn't it incredible? Care that moves beyond a, you all right, sort of thing. Care that doesn't just throw a coin in a hat. And it's it's a care that starts from the very basic to the very complex. I'm going to make sure that this person is looked after, even at personal cost. As I said before, there's times that I've totally missed it. Being so focused on getting to the next thing that I'll walk past an opportunity to bless or to care or to show love to someone. Solari's amazing at it. She will stop and have a chat to someone on the street. In the shopping line, she was telling me last night, in the the shopping line, she'll just turn around and say good day to someone. And inevitably, there'll be a story that comes out of it, a story that encourages someone somewhere along the line. Opportunities are everywhere. To be a neighbour. A few weeks ago, um, I talked about in in our services about finding space or making space and talked about minding the gap and making sure that we don't go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing in such a rush that we miss out on the good things of the day. A few weeks away, when Solari and I were in Sydney for Solari's graduation, it was this sort of stolen time for me. No kids, so we just were able to wander and do our thing. And it was great. And it was time to take a breath. And I have to say, it impacted the way I saw things around me. So much so that we are on the way back to the hotel and we were getting ready to leave. We just had a coffee. We just played a, some cards in the, in the coffee shop. And it was just, we were having a great time. And we walk around the corner... And this guy is on the pavement and he's asking for a few extra dollars to help catch the train. It's easy to walk past somebody, isn't it? It's easy to be sceptical about, well, this guy's just going to use it for something that isn't good for him. It's easy to think, well, I can't help everyone, so why help this one? But in that moment, I knew I had a $5 note. I don't normally have cash. So having some cash in my, in my wallet, I knew I had a $5 note in my wallet. And so I stopped and I grabbed the $5 note and I gave it to him. It didn't cost me anything. $5. I hardly even, it was stuck in between all the receipts anyway. Um, it was just luck that I'd, I'd seen it. Well, luck, God, probably, and that I'd seen it there that morning. So I stopped, I grabbed the $5 and I gave it to him. Not much out of my pocket. But I didn't just give it to him and walk on. I stopped and I said, can I pray for you? I prayed that God would protect him and keep it safe, keep him safe. It was a pretty simple prayer. And we went on our way. He was really appreciative that we stopped. He was appreciative that we gave him $5. But he was really appreciative that we prayed for him as well. A random stranger just stopping and taking a few moments to share. We trust that God was in it. That God uses these small opportunities for, for his kingdom glory. So, Jesus has used the Samaritan in this story for the good. The lawman still sort of thought, would have been thinking, he's a bad guy. But he's used this lawman for good. And he asks the lawman, uh, the Samaritan for good, but he asks the lawman, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? It's a rhetorical question, really. The answer is pretty simple. But the lawman couldn't even say it was a Samaritan. All he says is the one who showed mercy. It was almost in a resigned way as if to say, if this is what's being a neighbour, I'm going to be in trouble. I wonder if there's people that you just think, they can't be my neighbour. I couldn't do that. Yet Jesus, at the end of the story, he says, go and do Likewise. Go and be a neighbor to the person that doesn't look like you, to the person that isn't in the same socioeconomic space as you. Go and do likewise. We're taken back to the very beginning of the conversation where Jesus already told the man to, to go and do, to love God and love your neighbor. But doing that is a lot easier when your neighbor is someone that looks like you and sounds like you and laughs in the same, with the same jokes as you. Drinks the same coffee as you. <laughs> now Jesus is asking him to consider anyone is your neighbour. Everyone is your neighbour. Jesus himself proclaimed to his hometown that he was called to help people in need. And, from, and reading from Isaiah 61, he says this in Luke 4. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This was like Jesus' mission on earth. And this is what we're called to also. To be people who are ready to see everyone. Those who are struggling. Those who are not in a good place. Those who look different to me. To be what the Samaritan was. And you know, it may not be someone beaten on the side of the road and you nurse them back to health and you pay the local hotel hundreds and hundreds of dollars to keep them there. But the the call to bring good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set captives free and proclaim the Lord's favour, it's what Jesus did here. And he calls us to do that. So in past generations, it was, it was a different world, wasn't it? We're able to win souls to the kingdom through telling people about the good news of Jesus. And in Australia, even back 30, 40 years, it wasn't foreign to grow up in the church, to go to Sunday school. In fact, well, there'd be many, many people here that went to some sort of Sunday school. Uh, I'd say nearly all of us went to some, some sort of Sunday school. I, I didn't, but I used to hear about how Sunday schools would have hundreds and hundreds of people in them because the community would just bring their kids to church and you could tell them about Jesus freely. What an incredible ministry and the blessing is now because of the input of the past. But that's not what's engaging People anymore. Hillsong Conference was just on this past week, and even through all the issues of the government's, governance problems that they've had, they've redefined wor- what worship looks like in the last 20, 25 years. Like it or hate it, it's changed what they've done, what, what, what churches have done. But I get the feeling that m- the most entertaining worship, all the guitars and drums and all that, that, that churches have brought in, isn't going to bring people into a church environment anymore. COVID has hit churches, and we know that, and they've hit it hard. Not just in Victoria where we experienced all these lockdowns, but all over the world. Churches in and around Australia and the world are experiencing struggles in getting a sense of what, what used to be. It's not the same anymore. And we shouldn't be surprised. Because for one thing, COVID is more rampant now than it has in the past. People are ill for it, from it. Many are cautious because of it. So people are still online. People aren't coming back into the spaces where we used to be. COVID has also opened up, though, the possibility that there's something else that happens apart from what we do on a Sunday morning. So those who would come to church on a fortnightly basis maybe start coming monthly. The commitment is still there because we come to church online but we don't get to be a part of this congregation. Doing church and expecting more people to come is not what's going to cut it now in our culture. Church, Christianity even, is no longer cultural. Fear of missing out on the kingdom is no longer fear that impacts our society because most of our society would say, I've got my destiny in my hands. Those running great programs don't see the same impact on the outside of the church anymore. But in Jesus' mission statement, we don't hear about how he's asked us to create, create great programs to bring people into church. We don't hear Jesus saying, this is how you should order your service and structure your service. We need church. It serves a purpose. We're talking about being built up. It's a purpose. But Jesus did say, show mercy to the beaten and the downtrodden. Jesus did say, proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus did say, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to invite the stranger in, to care for the sick and the imprisoned. So what would Jesus do? Jesus would start by helping people where they are hurt. Now, I realize this might be out of our comfort zone. Some might be out of your comfort zone. Some people naturally do this. It's not really in my comfort zone, but it's what Jesus did, and it's what Jesus calls us to do. And there are plenty of opportunities for you to heed that call. It might be as simple as taking someone that you know who is sick a meal. At KSBC here, we we put together meal trains for people who are unwell. A meal train is uh, an online system that we can coordinate, giving meals to those who are not well. But I want to encourage you not to wait for a meal train, because there's plenty of people that we we don't even find that might need meals as well. (coughs) Excuse me. I want to encourage you to just make a meal. Maybe this week, if you're, a, if you're a cook, if you're someone that likes to cook, make a meal, make a, a little bit extra for someone this week. Perhaps someone you haven't seen at church lately. Perhaps someone who is a neighbour that you know that's not been well. Perhaps someone who's got COVID that no one has uh, noticed. Maybe it's a workmate. Maybe it's a, a person that you see every now and again and you pass by and you think, oh, I'd love to bless them in some way. Make space to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Remember when we cram so much in the day and we don't make the gap, we miss out on those opportunities to, to see where Jesus is calling us to be. So let's just take a meal to someone. Another thing is you, you can sign up to be part of the local breakfast club at, at Gladesville Primary School that started a, a little while back. And I know um, Keith Richardson goes and Iona goes. And they get to make toasts for kids who, don't, who come to school without having had breakfast. What a great opportunity to to be a blessing to people that are needing help. During our last quarterly ministry conference, I shared that we had the opportunity to to apply for a a grant from BAPCARE to, to, to purchase a breakfast cart to help with this school's ministry in our area and open up other ministries as well. An update to that is we got the grant. We got the money to go and purchase a breakfast cart. How amazing is that? Wonderful stuff. We're going to, we'll share in, in future um, coming soon uh, how, how you can be a part of that process as well and what, what we're going to be doing a little bit further. But if you want to know a little bit more about it now, come and say to myself or to Rod who's playing the viola, we'd love to talk to you about it. Tell you more about it. Go see one of the deacons. We'd love to talk to you about it. There's opportunities to be Jesus' hands and feet. Another way is seek to be part of a community food program. Now we don't do that here. We don't have a program here. Part of the beauty of our, our setting is that we get to see the beautiful mountains when it's not so foggy. We get to see our surroundings and it is beautiful. We've got space, we've got, but it's not conducive to someone coming off a train and coming in and finding a meal here. But there are plenty of churches, plenty of community meals happening all around our area. We have a friendship with Foothills Community Care that run out of Upway Baptist Church. And if anyone wants to head there and be part of serving in that space um, to find a sense for people that are really trying to find a sense of community, people that are struggling to get a meal, they serve uh, meals on a Monday afternoon, Monday evening, uh, anytime from four till sort of six, they're, they're out there serving meals. If you want to be involved, they would love to have faithful volunteers come and see me after the service. There's other other areas that you can serve as well. I know Moral Bark door meals. There's different meals. You can see Rod and Kaz because they serve in, in a few things as well. So ask the questions. How can I be a part of it? There are avenues to be able to do this. But I reckon the best way, I reckon the best way that we can be like that Samaritan is just to be present to God. Present to God and present to the people that are around you. Each morning when you get out of bed, Say a simple prayer. Say a prayer that just says, God, today, make me alert to those around me and to their needs. Amen. That's all it needs to be. But if you pray that prayer, be prepared to look and see what God's doing in your day as well. Don't just say the prayer and then keep your head down. That's not what it's about. Because God will open opportunities for you to be Christ in your community. Jesus calls us to lean into the care of others, to live on the sacrificial edge when it comes to care, to be alert to the needs of those around us, not just to the obvious needs, like someone sitting in a ditch with, uh, looking like they're about to die, but also to the secret needs, the hidden needs. Men's health is a big one at the moment. So hidden. Because our society tells us that men have to have this sense of manliness, yet so many struggle. New mothers struggling with lack of sleep, the demands of a new baby. Seeing the stress of a businessman whose business is struggling because of the financial situation that are going on at the moment. It might be a divorcee who hasn't been eating well for months. Jesus calls us to lean in to the care of others that we might be alert and open to their needs. I get the feeling that when we get back to the basis of care, of, of love and care and acceptance of all, those who are comfortable at KSBC and those who may never ever step foot into the church, we're going to start seeing a deepening of relationship. We're going to start seeing opportunity not just to feed someone, but to share our faith story with them. To share what we believe about Jesus with them. Not because of fear, not because we've got a fancy slogan, not because we want to tell them that if they don't, then, well, their eternity is in, in trouble. But because they've seen the hands and the feet of Jesus. They've seen Jesus serving them. They've seen Jesus care for them. They've seen an example of Jesus lived out through you. Jesus sets the example and asks us to follow in his steps. So let's think this week. In all our actions, in all our spaces, what would Jesus do? Whatever situation you find yourself in, ask him and walk in his steps. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we give you thanks and praise for your word. We give you thanks, Lord, that you... You shook that, that law man up. You made him consider what it meant to love your neighbor, to love our neighbor, that our neighbor may not be the ones that look like us. And God, may you shake us up, that we may be disciples who are seeking to serve you, that we are called to care for the needs of others that we may be attentive to your spirit this week as we ask in every situation we find ourselves in. What would Jesus do? How would Jesus deal with this? Would Jesus walk past this situation? Would Jesus look the other way? Lord, help us to consider you in this. We thank you, Lord. Amen.